Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli with RestaurantOwner.com. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. We've got a special guest for you today. We're going to learn an awful lot about famous toastery, North Carolina units, South Carolina units, Virginia units. They're in that exciting breakfast, lunch, brunch market niche. And we're listening. Our guest today is the newly appointed president, Michael Sabasco. Mike, thanks so much for joining us here on Corner Booth. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Mike, give us some background on yourself and the business, but I'm always interested how people got into the restaurant business. It's There's never two stories that are alike, and I'm looking forward to yours. Okay. Well, for me, you know, I was a 15-year-old in Texas that wanted a car. And for my 16th birthday, my dad got me a dishwashing job at a local health food restaurant. And that was my path to a car. I, I, I think a lot of guys like me, you know, out there have a similar story to tell. And, and that was a great story for him to tell to his buddies. But yeah, I, I was a dishwasher 38 years ago. Still, we all still do that from time to time when we're in restaurants. Sure. It's important. So I got into it and I was fortunate enough to be with some really good brands early in the career where, where restaurants were a career. Uh, as you know, you get that in your blood. Uh, I was with Harrigan's and Don Pablo's uh, uh, out of Texas there for my first 13 years in management. Uh, I've had stops uh, with Boston Pizza and Mimi's Cafe, Texas Land and Cattle Steakhouse. Uh, most recently, Mooyah Burger Fries and Shakes, where I come to uh, Famous Toastery from. But yeah, it's uh, 38 years of this. I don't know anything else. Uh, I don't think I could mow, mow yards or shine, shine shoes and make a living at it. So here I am and thrilled to be here. And then your the current concept, which you became president of today, which is a huge deal. Many congratulations. What? How did you wind up with this particular concept, and and what made you stay with it to enjoy the success you're having now? Well, I, I, this concept, uh, you know, North Carolina based uh, concept called uh, Famous Toastry, and Brian Burchill and, and Robert Maynard were. Uh, two guys that grew up together in, in New York and, and both had made their way to, to uh, North Carolina, Charlotte area and wanted to get in the breakfast space. And I think the only way they knew how to do it, like a lot of us was to be really, 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 really fresh and focused and be more hospitable than anyone and try and out hustle everyone. And they got together in 2004 and did the first famous toastery here in Davidson, North Carolina. And, and it resonated, you know, it, it it's a scratch kitchen. The term they've used for going on 20 years now is famously fresh. They were not in a hurry to get into franchising. I, I mean, the playbook associated as a franchise organization is usually to simplify menus, simplify operations, simplify systems. And they felt like that was their entire competitive advantage was the fact that they were going to maintain a scratch kitchen, maintain a hospitality footprint in the front of the house at all times that really took some talking to, to get those two guys to relent and allow some, some type of licensing agreements out there uh, to grow the system. You know, so, you know, the secret sauce of this particular concept and, and some things that got me kind of 
revved up there, you're talking, you know, we got lots of independent operators who they mm -hmm. want to do from scratch and fresh. And we got lots of independent operators and they're talking about, we want to have the best culture. We want to have top service. Mm -hmm. But that's one thing to say that, but then systematizing it well enough to have the consistency and quality that can take you from one to two to three to four plus units. Tell us about that, because that, that doesn't happen by magic. Yeah, no, it doesn't. The reason Hickmas Toastery is not all the way around the world right now with the, mm -hmm. the offering, the food here is the best, and and I'm not saying it because I'm the president. Come try it. <laughs> it's, it's the best food I have had in the space. Mm -hmm. It's because there was only one Brian and only one Rob. That, that That's why. And what they were... They weren't selling restaurants when they made the decision to get in. They were saying, we need partners that can duplicate this system. If you go to a lot of restaurants, th there's a couple of hero things on the menu that drive the economic engine of the restaurant that they can produce relatively quickly. And those things usually say as part of the menu mix or 10 to 20% of everything they sell. If you look at what Famous Toastery is doing, nothing exceeds 3%. Everything on that menu has to be good. So the core proposition to a potential partner for Famous Toastery is you have to excel in every single category you have. Everything on the menu has to be quality, and that doesn't lend itself to exp exponential growth. Mm -hmm. so the advice I would give you is either contract the menu to where you can find a core hero and, and, and contract the brand. And there's plenty of brands out there that do that. Famous Toastery is not going to be one of those brands. We're, we're going to have to live in the in the back of the house in a scratch-made kitchen. The, the quality is the core proposition of the franchisee. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to you must have some menu questions, Chris. <laughs> well, I just think that's tremendous. And, you know, um, no, I think, Mike, you hit a point that we have been telling a lot of independents wanting to grow. And that is there is a difference between, uh, say, duplication mm -hmm. uh, and expansion. And you just said it so correctly. Um, you're not going to be able to duplicate completely if what you're expecting is to throw a lot of darts at the wall and expand coast to coast. Um, that's, you know, that might be expansion, but if you really want to duplicate every aspect of something, then that means you have to be happier with a smaller footprint and a, say, a, a sliver of the nation and just become more regional where you can take your time in developing and you can do a lot more uh, teaching and supporting because it's a close-knit group. So, so there's my first question is, how do you find and qualify those partners? How extensive is the training to become a franchisee or licensee since you're really duplicating a culture. You're not just giving them a manual and say, go. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, you're not supposed to use the term legally partnership in franchising, right? I mean, there's, there's some ramifications to that. We're looking for partners. Um, everybody in the office that, that, that is a stakeholder in the operation of a restaurant has to sign off on a potential partner, period. That's it. Obviously, the owners, the founders are going to sign off on a potential partner. So this probably is not for someone who likes to eat because there's plenty of that in franchising where someone you know wants a burger place because they like to eat burgers and they have no idea what goes into making those burgers, what the supply chain looks like, what the build out of a restaurant entails. So we're looking for typically someone that's either been in education. Frankly, that's that's been a, a, a good match for us. Mm -hmm. 
uh, because they understand that they can't wait on every table. They can't cook every omelet. So they're probably really good coaches and teachers that do that. And, and we can take that attitude and train a skill. We've, we've proven that over time uh, here at Toastery since t- 2014 when they relented and allowed that to happen. But these folks that are coming in, they have to be every bit as passionate about the brand as we are. And, and that is the secret sauce if you're going to grow it. Uh, and, and we recognize uh, there's no pressure on me to, as, as president of the company to grow this brand exponentially at all. It's about getting right partners in the right real estate, the right places at the right build out costs. And, um, and then they have to ha- exude that passion. And we're trying, the, the, the mantra here is we're going to earn the right to drop the check for the guest, period. I mean, that's that's what we have to do and that's how you build it. We're, we're very grassroots that way. Uh, I've been in some organizations where that's not the case. You, you, and to Chris's point, you uh, you give them a playbook and tell them to go, go play. Uh, here, we have to be in position to coach uh, every step of the way. And so um, it obviously isn't too slow of a process because in the, in the, how many years now? Almost 20 years. You've amassed, what, two or three states worth of units. How many units are you up to? We're up to 28. Um, eight company locations, 20 of those are franchise. Um, th- with what this product is, and I think you guys will see it when you come in, um, we, we could have a lot more. And it's important to say no. If you have, you know, missteps at this stage of a brand's evolution, um, you know, it, a misstep is really a step backwards. And I don't think that really interesting. We've had some, frankly. Um, and we've learned a lot about what it takes to duplicate what this business is. But just because someone likes the brand doesn't mean they're going to be passionate at executing it. Mm-hmm. And tell us about the menu and the style of service. It sounds like it's full service. Um, you are talking about, you know, you give the advice, you know, don't let your menu get out of control, which, which, is great advice, but, um, you know, how big is your menu? What's on the menu? How do you maintain that quality? And then, um, what's the breakdown of your service between uh, full service and maybe, uh, off premises. We have plenty of room to grow in our off premise, uh, mm-hmm. initiatives. Um, a lot of that's been just some, uh, some technology limitations that we're dialing through now, but mm-hmm. all 28 locations have third-party delivery available today as mm-hmm. we this is a brand that learned that in the pandemic. Sure. Uh, the, the menu is as complex a, a menu as you'll find. There's a full brunch suite. Uh, it's breakfast, eggs eggs that are heavy. And by the way, we're making hollandaise sauce in small batches mm-hmm. uh, every three to four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of the process. And that's, that's a non-negotiable famous toastery. Um, it, as an old ops guy, as an old unfrozen caveman ops guy, I'm sitting here with just as being in the restaurants this week, I'd love to have a bag of hollandaise, but now I get it. It, it, it is the core proposition to the guest, to the franchisees and to our team members. Uh, so that's, that's kind of a, it's not kind of, it is an advantage that we have for team members that work here. We're a casual dining table service restaurant uh, that, that lives on a team service model. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's your server in a restaurant. The hospitality piece has to win over. But uh, because it's that, and because it's the quality proposition, wherever we are in a trade area, people want to work here. Uh, we don't have the staffing shortages that a lot of people are experiencing in this day and age. 
and, and there's something to be said for that. I, I tip my cap because, like I said, I've been 38 years in this industry, and uh, people want to work at Famous Toaster. What's the word get out in terms of, I mean, uh, everybody's struggling with labor right now. Um, I've got to, you know, I, I know that, uh, quote unquote, minimum wages are, are up in, in the industry, but um, where are you getting your, not only your your employees, but more than employees, not just warm bodies, your employees who are going to deliver your quality proposition? You know, word of mouth is the, the best form of advertising ever. And word gets out. Um, we'll open another new restaurant in six months. But uh, when we reopened the Davidson location after a remodel shutdown, people were lined up to interview for that position. Uh, I had breakfast and lunch there today. Uh-huh. And shift, we had applicants coming in. Uh, and, and it's a town notoriously short-staffed. Uh, graphics are just such where you don't have a readily built uh, service industry community, but people are coming from around to come try and get a job at Famous Toastery. Uh, so I mean, I've clearly had nothing to do with that. I just got here, but they're, they they built a culture and, and word gets out the, that the income's there. I love hearing that. You know, Chris, I, a lot of other people who are industry observers and consultants are on the mountaintop screaming, it's culture. It's going to be culture that's going to, people first culture is going to make your restaurant. And it's really great to hear somebody who's actually on the front line of the business with 28 units, who's essentially saying that is the difference between having enough people in your restaurant and then just basically paying $20 an hour and just hoping they'll stay. Well, that's exactly right. No, Barry, make a good point. I, I am. I'm hoping that our listeners are making a note of that because they probably heard this, you know, uh, when they're faced with that situation of there's not enough people out there. How can I get more people? And then they're being told, look within first. You know, you, you we have to be better. We've got to be able to have a positive work environment. We have to be the place that people like working in. So first fix that. Are you better than you were before? Can you go on out and explain to people why they're going to fit and enjoy working here rather than somewhere else? And, and so, and it sounds like, see, we've, we've got now a perfect example of the result of living that way. Um, I want to visit the, I guess, the technical aspects of labor also is that from a management aspect, there must be a slight advantage in scheduling one shift because breakfast and lunch can work together, right? Rather than somebody who's got a lunch shift and a dinner shift. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And I've, I've spent a lifetime doing scheduling lunch and dinner and trying to remind myself the L stands for lunch and the D stands for dinner. It's not life and death because trying to build those two schedules over time you know, is, is rough. It, it, it's been rough for 10 years, you know, uh, a one shift solution is absolutely the way to go. Uh, we have our, you know, the location I was in today was busy for both parts of it and everybody works an eight hour shift and, uh, and they closed open and they'll be ready to go for a very big Saturday morning tomorrow. That'll hit them at 7.00 AM, uh, which is, you know, an unusual for a late night restaurant guy like me, the circadian rhythms are going to have to catch up here quickly. I'll tell you that guys. Mm-hmm. But um, Yeah. It, it's a one shift operation. And that's, that's the genius behind this business model and how that works. I know a lot of folks are closing Mondays, Tuesdays now, or are doing one of that to try and, you know, eliminate some of the overtime. We, we, we just don't experience it that way. It's a one shift. So, so what are your hours? And 
maybe you could kind of finish the picture of famous toastery. Uh, what's the size, seating capacity, hours of operation? Yeah, famous toastery, no two are alike. Um, you know, they, you, you, you would be hard pressed to pick out a, more than one or two design elements and go, that's a famous toastery thing. It's kind of evolved over these 20 years. Uh, we go anywhere from uh, 70 seats to 200 seats in, in the various locations. It, it's just really about being in a cozy, comfortable environment uh, where we, we won't seat more than we can serve. And we have traditionally engineered kitchens to to be able to do that. And it's, there has been an awful lot of thought um, by the founders about what, what time and motion looks like before they'll, they open the restaurant, but operating hours are seven to three, seven days a week, except uh, they, they get Thanksgiving and Christmas off. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it's a nice schedule for a lot of people that uh, cannot work a traditional restaurant schedule. Certainly. I mean, that- Tell about this team, you just mentioned really quickly about how we do team service. And I'd like the listeners to know a little bit more about that. How is that structured? Um, and what do you, how, you know, how do you see the advantages of this front of the house team? Yeah, well, fund- yeah, it's, it's, it's really pretty cool. Uh, where I grew up at Don Pablo's and Harrigan's years ago, we had a similar thing, but you had a four table section and you were really limited to it. Uh, what they've done is expanded the size of the section and everybody's tip pulling at, at Famous Toastery. So the, the concept is everybody's your server and it's almost a game of Simon Says based on the activities required to give someone service. You'd never walk past an ungreeted table. You don't walk past an opportunity for a refill. And you obviously have full hands in, full hands out. Those are old restaurant terms, but uh, we have to live that way. Uh, here it, to do a breakfast volume. No one wants to wait 20 minutes for breakfast or lunch, right? No one has that kind of time. So it kind of evolved into that and talking to Brian and Rob about, about how the process really was, but it, 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 it is truly highly efficient. And if, if you divide it up, what we, we had going on today, it's a six table section uh, for literally everyone with better service than you see in traditional restaurants where everybody is, just kind of servicing their section and walking out on the food. And because no one walks out on hot food, they have to grab what's in the window. You don't pass go. It, 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 it's a game of monopoly. Uh, now I, I I'm hearing some stories where, you know, Hey, Hey, that can fall. It, it can fail and can be miserable when it does, but it works. It's, it, it's really beautiful. And I've seen it working this week. You know, we'll see if they can do it two weeks in a row next week. But yeah, it, it, it works and it really maximizes income opportunity for everyone involved in the shift. Um, everybody's in it together and, and they they pull their tips based on hours worked. So everybody's trying to get a maximum tip for everyone in the restaurant. Kind of an interesting concept and it, it, it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. You know, I mean, uh, it, it, that last part, I think, is what really resonates. It works if people feel like it's creating um, a we help each other. And the more we help each other, the better the customer experience is type of thing. So I, I'll give you an example of what really touched me on it. A lot of these folks that are working have more than one job and, and they can go work a night shift in a steakhouse. And there's this exact scenario where on Monday I'm in the Davidson location for the morning and the gal that waited on me at the Davidson location worked in the steakhouse I was in at night. And it's a completely different service model. My service was much better in the famous toastery. She enjoys working in the famous toastery. 
But the point she made to me was that if you're the best server at chain restaurant X, you probably are the best server at chain restaurant insert name here because you know where to hide when you're needed and you're just focusing exclusively on those guests that are that are in your section. They're, They're probably not team players. To see the team completely work together at Toaster is really pretty nifty thing. Yeah, I, I challenge you both. Check it out when you get a chance. We will, and you don't have the problem with range wars between the uh, servers on who gets the best tables, which can open up all kinds of problems, even discrimination claims. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, everybody was on the pet. We have two patios in this restaurant that I was in today, one in the front, one in the back. Everybody servicing everything. So it's a breakfast menu, um, brunch menu. Tell me the the items. And then also, we haven't had this conversation with, um, or at least I don't recall for a while, somebody who's focused on those day parts. Um, how's the supply chain treating treating eggs these days and and those type of items? Um, can you walk us through the menu and 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 what what's going on there in in terms of making sure you have inventory to pull it off? Yeah, we, we've changed broadliners recently. Uh, we're, we're in the Cisco fold now and, and still kind of going through what, what's going on there. We are on a pasteurized egg process. Uh, we'd love to be farm fresh, but there's just too much risk associated with that. Um, so we're, we're in the pasteurized game. We're all experiencing what we're, we have two kinds of ham at face, Famous Toastery. We're in North Carolina, so we have to do country ham. We get to do country ham. Yeah. And it's guess what? It's about half the ham we sell. Um, we also do what they call city ham, which is... Uh, with folks like Chris there in Texas with you, you know, uh, it's ham, you know, for guys from Iowa like me, but um, the, the, the menu is really kind of unique. We, we put a, a an owner's slant uh, on everything we do. Uh, we have a corned beef hash. That's uh, uh, Rob's favorite. I mean, that's, that's what he's going to eat every time. And it, it, it's kind of one of the founders favorites things on the menu. Uh, we're heavy into obviously omelets. You can build your own, but we have a couple that are um, called out. The avocado omelet is a seems to be a favorite for for folks that are coming in as a first time guest. Uh, we're heavy into crepes. We do flapjacks. Um, there's a deal going on right now. It's kind of a, a civil war. Are you team flapjack or are you team are you team waffle? And I haven't declared yet. I'm not sure which side's going to win that. I don't know. I think that's a toughie. I think you just have to stay on the fence and eat them both. Um, I'm kind of leaning team waffle. You guys are the first to hear it. So I, I had our pumpkin waffle today. And so you're uh, not really waffling. You're you've chosen waffle. You what you did there, and I salute you. So <laughs> well, I'm the editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, uh, you know, they, it, it, that's the other cool thing about everybody's having a lot of fun with it, but they're really serious about the food and the execution. Um, you know, there's uh, um, several sandwiches and wraps, the, those kind of things. Uh, we do our own corned beef in-house. We roast our turkey in-house. We roast the hams in-house. Uh, would love to not do that from an operation standpoint, but well, the minute it, it's, it's who we are, and that's what we're going to do. And uh, I'm not the guy that's uh, got the guts to come in and change something like that because mm-hmm. it's it, it's in our DNA is, is scratch. Uh, but the sandwiches and wraps, I, I think the, the lesson here is that if it's on the menu, it's got to be great. And if it's not great, we haven't earned the right to drop the check. 
Um, you know, obviously a couple of salads, and then we'll we'll do seasonal things that that uh, will we'll change from year to year. And uh, the culinary team here is uh, just a passionate group. We're all involved in that. What kind of dessert works in that kind of situation? I mean, I mean, does a breakfast, brunchy, lunch place really move desserts? And if you're a scratch kitchen, does that mean you're really making a big deal out of, you know, making, I don't know, some founder's grandma's recipe, deep dish something? Yeah, no. And it's interesting. We have we, we have some sweets from time to time. Uh, the seasonal right now is a. Uh, um, an apple oatmeal crumble, right? It, it, it just, it's, it, it's a fall thing, but um, between you and me, we're not really interested in selling a lot of desserts. And, and I, I'm sure you're listening hear that, that that's something that kind of, kind of impact your table turns. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and, you know, as, as we've talked about before too, not everything works in every concept. You're, you're a heavy from scratch breakfast, lunch concept. And so breakfast and lunch isn't as heavy, you know, into desserts as dinner. So that was probably a good call. Can we talk a little bit about the kitchen that is needed to support the menu you just outlined? I mean, if you're doing fresh prep and production and line service, mm-hmm. um, what kind of labor positions uh, do you need to, you know, to manage? I was expecting, you know, six weeks when I first walked into a famous toastery, several ovens, a stove, a griddle, and a four-vat fryer for a breakfast place. And the first thing you notice is an absence of a fryer. Okay. Okay. And um, everything we do happens on a flat top or on the stove. And and then we have the oven, which literally handles everything that we're roasting and baking and all that. So it's cool to be able to have the capacity to go – from one and a half million annualized sales to three and a half million dollars in annualized sales with nothing more than a 12 foot hood. Yeah. So I, I don't know that that's where they intended to be or if these two guys lucked into that, but when you look at the, what the build out cost ramifications are, something like that, um, it, 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 it's worked out nicely. Um, not having to deal with fryers and, and the fry oil situation that everybody's, you know, doing right now is a, a kind of an advantage. So it's uh, either it's grilled, it's broiled, it's baked, um, uh, or it's off of the cold pantry. Yeah. And it's sauteed. So that, that we do pick up simplification off there and timing issues as you're expediting and, and, and pulling plates together uh, from that standpoint. Uh, I mean, an eight minute ticket time is a little long at famous toastery. And, and when you look really? at the, you look at the complexity of the menu, uh, you, you really want to wonder how they're doing this. We spend an awful lot of time training at the egg station um, it, because that's that, that is the tip of the funnel or the potential to be. And the other one being what happens in the window. Food's got to be served hot. You know, if I'm a, if, if I've got a server that's on their way with drinks and I got to get them to run food, that food's got to be ready. So um, they, they've done a nice job of building the DNA or at least the architecture of, of the operational flow. And I guess the kitchen staff's fairly cross-trained, so they they do multi-station. You bet. Uh, every GM knows every position. Every KM knows every position. Uh, th- those are titles and name only. Um, and, and the same thing happens with the with the back of the house staff. And I think we've got a couple of servers and go back and whip up a West, Western omelet in a pinch. So, so anybody can jump on the line then, huh? If you need it. Yep. Yep. 
but uh, no one touches anything unless they've been properly trained. And that's something that having a training culture is something I firmly appreciate. Mm-hmm. How has that changed, you know, since they started uh, the, the, from say initial training almost 20 years ago, and then ongoing training to where you are now? Um, how has that changed as far as, well, pretty much everything, who does, how long it's done, what type of medium is used? It, it, I'm glad you asked that. It, it, it was a hot topic with the director of training, Annie Lee, this week, and, and our VP of operations, Joe Gilley. Um, and and one, and I'll, I'll start there, Anne's in charge of training. So she's been with the company 10 years, and uh, her DNA, I think she bleeds syrup. I really do. I think she bleeds maple syrup. Um what, what, what it has evolved to is that um, it is performance-based training. So the old style of training programs are always tell, show, do, review. She's added validate. Someone is going to put their name on what a trainee can do. And they, they're being given very specific tasks. Now, as I sit here and talk through like an FDD, we're talking 800 hours of management training alone to say, okay, you are exposed to the fundamentals of what famous toastry is as a management team, right? That number, uh, the three guys sitting here having this conversation, we know is is kind of a thin air number. It's really based upon what skill sets they have and their ability to produce it. And what I love that Ann is doing is that she's saying we've got a validation step. Someone with knowledge and, and the passion on this brand is going to sign you off before you touch anything. That's not just for managers. That is for every position in the restaurant. And that's the DNA of this brand. You you don't graduate to anything other than that without going through someone who's lived it. See, that's another thing, Barry, you know, that we see that uh, um, in the successful uh, work environments, the people that seem to be able to survive and thrive now in this atmosphere and this current labor market will find that there's got there's something about the way they train that's engaging. They've picked up the pace. So people obviously go through this and they feel uh, more than just, I'm comfortable that you told me what to do. They've got to feel probably a lot more confident in their ability to do what it is you want them to do. Uh, and we find that that's the kind of thing that typically makes people work together better. Uh, and if they do, then that means they probably will stay longer. Everybody wins. Oh, yeah. If you, if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, somebody's going to be criticizing you. That is a, that's just a recipe for turnover. I, I can't stay here anymore. Right. I can go down the street and make $20 an hour someplace else where maybe I won't get yelled at. Yeah, yeah, I think- or maybe the person working next to me um, is actually competent, uh, um, you know, because, see, they went through the training. They were uh, validated. They were evaluated. They're working next to me. And I really like that. Rather than what we hear when the good people leave, it's because, well, you know, they're putting up with anything. I was surrounded by people that were, you know, slowing me down, not doing a good job. I can't identify with that. So I'm out of here. So with 28 units and this training um, system that you have in place, which is wonderful, um, am I can I imagine that? if I come in there as an entry-level employee and, and do a good job, start looking around, there's a real career for me here? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it literally was a dishwasher. And then my next step was I got promoted to Salad Expo. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember Salad Expo. I'm so old. We called it pantry back then. I th- so I, I, there, there's a management track for some of your employees if they uh, if they show uh, potential. Absolutely, uh, both franchise system and in the company locations. Wow. Yeah, everybody's got a track if they want it for sure, and uh, nobody likes carrots dangled. I t- I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, we're, we're we're open and honest about what our opportunities are here. Uh, we've 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 had org chart discussions this week about how we have needs. Uh, as we grow with what our current pipeline looks like. And uh, we have some openings that we want to fill right now to further support the franchise system. So, you know, who are these people and can we start working on those guys now? Uh, There's no shortage of talent in the organization. I'm I'm blessed walking in here with talent, uh, passionate people that just want to further this brand. Well, I can tell you as a, I'm also a university professor and so I have classrooms full of Gen Z students. And I will tell you what one thing they love. And I, and uh, it sounds like you are doing it when they come into a company, they just don't want a carrot dangled. They want a roadmap. What is my pathway from A to B to C to what Mike's doing? And they want to see that roadmap and then they'll stay if they know what the roadmap is, but just to say, Hey, work hard and maybe you'll have an opportunity. That's not enough. Yeah, I, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I was always told that a promotion happens when preparation and opportunity meet. Um, it would have been a lot handier for me to realize what the time frame of opportunity really meant. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I would have appreciated that, and they're demanding that today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're doing it, and I and I think that's that alone could put you way ahead of the competition in terms of attracting young talent. Yeah, we got to earn it. You know, I mean, I saw on a receipt this year that Walmart wants to be the employer of choice. I'm not sure I believe them. You know, um, we got we we got to back up what we're saying, and we know that we consistently have to earn the trust of our people, uh, and that's what our management teams preach, and that's what we're preaching to them, and we've got to earn their trust too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. You're, you're in a hot segment, I think. Uh, I mean, is that how you're seeing it? That breakfast, lunch. That means that, you know, you're so I guess, you know, I mean, the good thing about that is that that fits a customer profile that's growing. You probably have uh, units that are urban and suburban. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, but because it's attractive as a market segment, it means that I guess a lot more players are going to be jumping into it. And um, Hmm. we'll probably see a lot more uh, independents wanting to develop these types of really limited uh our type operations. One thing I've noticed that some are doing, and I'd love your comment on this, is the addition of, of uh, alcohol to the breakfast lunch concept. We're in um, there. We've, we've been there the entire time. So uh, you have that. Okay. Yeah, we're, we fresh squeeze every orange, which isn't fun right now at 70 cents an orange. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you that, but we're, we're doing it. We don't compromise on it. And our mimosas are fresh squeezed orange. And, and if anybody wanted to go to a bottled juice program, uh, they'd be run out of here on a rail. Because uh, I know I stupidly asked that question day one, right? It, Oops. It, has anybody considered that? Well, of course not. That's that's our DNA. I mean, it's about being consistently great. And, and that's what you use to fend off your competitors is, is 
whatever your DNA is. But uh, we have a, a, an incredible Bloody Mary. I mean, it, it's the ultimate one has shrimp and bacon in it. I mean, it, it, it's the, the, the founders were like, no one's going to have a better Bloody Mary than me. That's a line in the sand. So bring it on, guys. You know, toasteries out here in the Bloody Mary business. But you look at it from a um, uh, just an overall branding perspective. We have room to grow our bar sales, but we're not trying to be um, you know, a bar. Certainly, it, it's an accoutrement to the experience, and we just want the best possible experience for the guests. So what type of percent of sales would uh, would it represent? Uh, we're currently at eight. We, we, we think we've got another 2% that, that we can get there. Okay. Um, but in getting there responsibly, you know, it's it, we're not trying to take price to get there. We, we just want to be more efficient as, as a bar experience. It's never been, a, it's not one of those things where we're hobbyists in the bar. We want to yeah. have craft cocktails that match the menu uh, and they've got to be great. Uh, there's been a couple of things that they won't serve. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. And, and you know, Barry, it doesn't surprise me that it's been there all along since it's one of the key uniquenesses here is that this has been from scratch since that's- day one and make everything and make it be the best. So, so long before it became cool for others to say, why don't we have Bloody Marys and, and maybe just one or two seasonal cool specialties to go with our brunch atmosphere? You already had it. Well, we're, you know, I'm I'm seeing concepts. I check out concepts all over uh, my region, the Raleigh Durham region, which is, is is fairly expensive in terms of the business and. Prices are up everywhere. I don't know about others, but um, I can tell when something has been not from scratch, something has been squeezed out of a bag. I'm not paying good money for that experience anymore. I don't think other people are. Well, that's kind of our kick to, I'm just sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but you know, value is not what you pay. It's what you get. And that's, that's what, that's the core equation here is what are we giving them? Have we earned the right to ask them to pay $14 for an omelet and eight bucks for this Bloody Mary? And if the answer is no, we got to make it right. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. President, what's what's the future look like? What's your vision statement? Um, you're at the helm now, 28 units. You've got you. You uh, clearly are passionate about your concept. Clearly, you understand it inside and out. So what's the future look like or what can you talk about at least? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I'm going to focus on the 20 franchise locations. I, I think every brand is, uh, you know, we, we say we're 28 famous toasteries. We are one famous toastery 28 times. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a partner that's dedicated their livelihood to your brand, um, we need to understand what their experiences are and, and make sure we're the best possible partner before we talk about further growth. Mm-hmm. I think it's a dereliction of duty in my role if I'm not out having that discussion. So that's that's job one for me is to get with the franchise partners, make sure that the relationship and the experience they're having is the one we want them to have. And then um, and, and the one they expect to have. Uh, they are all extremely passionate about the brand. Um, I've, I've heard from most of them at this point. And uh, they, they, they like what's happening here and they want to make sure I'm not some efficiency expert from another state that's coming in here to 
put hollandaise sauce in a bag. I mean, that's their number one concern, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I got a lot to work with and I just want to make sure we're doing it right. So we're going to focus on what we have there. We're going to look at uh, the commonalities among all these 28 snowflake locations that are also different mm-hmm. and, and get working on a prototype. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about how we're going to grow. In the meantime, uh, we're, we're going to figure out what that perfect partner looks like among this team. And then we'll target our growth on that. I'm not necessarily interested in getting outside of North Carolina, uh, Virginia, you know, just kind of the Southeastern part of the country that we're in. We're currently in South Carolina as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Eastern Tennessee makes an awful lot of sense for us. And we've had got some people kicking the tires and if they're the right partners, we'll, we'll find a path forward for that. Uh, we have some groups in Texas that have happened across the brand, and uh, we'll see, you know, we'll just see if those are the right partners for us and we're the right partners for them. Mm-hmm. But what won't happen is um, we're not going to cut our way to prosperity. Um, I, I know there's a lot of brands out there trying to do that right now. Uh, that's not in our portfolio in the short, intermediate or long-term future. Uh, I think we're going to stay the course. I know we're going to stay the course in terms of a commitment to quality. Um, the, the big initiative this year is uh, redefining and refining the training program to add that validation step to look at the orientation experience. Um, we've talked a lot about an effective average wage component this week, and that is what happens when you turn over people or when someone doesn't make it through your training program because you've made a poor hire because you wanted a body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something that really afflicts famous toastery, like I've seen it afflict other brands I've been associated with at this time, but it's a real number. So if anybody, we've made a decision to hire anyone, uh, we're going to really monitor what their experience is at all levels of the organization, all the way through their career. We realize that not everybody wants my job, that they're going to go off and be doctors and lawyers and moms and dads and teachers and stuff. But while they're with famous toastery, we want to really understand what our team member experience is. Uh, at this point in time, that's a big initiative, and that's one driven from uh, our founders. They they, they want to uh, reside in the community with people and and, and hold their head up high and and say that guy used to work for me, and now he's a doctor. You know that's good. <laughs> Chris, have we talked to any successful concept owner or manager at all in our fifty some podcast that? It didn't get down to people first. No, no, no that, that's it. I know that everyone, everyone that's doing this right would wind up underlining what you're saying. That uh, I mean, we, we, you know, we may be in the restaurant business, but we manage people. It's a people mm-hmm. first program. I just, I really, really thank you uh, for the points you've made and the time you've given us today. I know we're running out, uh, but uh, Michael, it's, uh, it's, it, I. Congratulations on the spot you're in. I know you're excited about diving in. What a wonderful place to dive into. This is a company that is just based on all the right stuff. Um, It makes you just excited to be in the industry. I'm so happy uh, to hear everything that we got to hear, looking so forward to the next steps that you'll take with it. My pleasure. Don't tell anyone, but I am the luckiest guy in the world. We believe it. We'll keep that a secret. (laughs) Myself. I just had the best first week in a career job ever. And I'm so excited to be here. Thank you both for your time. I I, I appreciate it. Well, may week two and three and four and whatnot continue to be just as good. That's Michael Sabasco, everybody. Famous Toastery. Look them up. 
go there if you're close by. And uh, if you can learn from them because they're doing everything right. Thanks, Dad. Good to see you. Michael, thank you so much. Everyone, we'll catch up on the next Corner Booth. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.